And so this morning, we're going to look at just a couple verses, not too many, and um, get to see this promise that took place 700 years, give or take, before Jesus was even born. It was this prophecy that's really, really well known. You'll recognize it when I start reading it, that many people have heard before and say that this was a man named Isaiah who was saying, this kid's going to come, this, this Messiah, this Jesus, this boy's going to be born, this baby's going to be born, and he's going to do all these incredible things. And he said this 700 years before it ever happened, which is really, really cool to see that fulfilled and see the historicity of the validity of Scripture continue right there. I'm going to go ahead and read this. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 9. If you have a Bible with you, you can turn there. It'll also be on the screens behind me. And if you have a phone, you can type in ISA into Google and then put it on number 9, and you'll be able to find it pretty simple. We're going to be on verse number 2. Um, and I think, yeah, we're going to go verse number 2, skip over a couple verses, and we're going to hop back in in 5. Um, just because I want to, last time I went really, really long, so I want to keep it a little bit shorter today. So here we go, Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 2. And, yeah, I'm going to read it up here. Uh, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Skipping ahead to verse 5. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning. It will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it. So this is a really cool prophecy, and it's one of these things that kind of reminds me that this book is really, really old. Um, this was written 700 years before Jesus. If, 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 you ever, if you ever went to, like, you know, history class, they have, like, 0 B, or 5 B.C. This is 700 B.C. before Christ, B.C. before Jesus, basically. This is really, really old, and the way people spoke to each other and the cultural references we don't always catch them. We have to do a little bit of extra research. So if you were reading this on your own, you were trying to study your Bible, and you're like, man, what are they talking about? Especially if you read through the other parts. They reference Midianites, and there's war all of a sudden. Why are all these things coming up? You just got to do a little extra study, and you'll be able to find it. You can get a commentary. You can study online as well, too. There's some good resources all around. But here's the first thing that we have to recognize. We're going to kind of look at verse 2 primarily, and this is our first point this morning. The world needs external help. The world needs external help. It needs help from the outside. I'm going to kind of walk us through how we get there. First, I want us to look at, or I want us to recognize, you can kind of look, uh, if you have a Bible with you, you can, this will help really easily. And verse 8, right before we started in chapter, sorry, chapter 8, right before we started in chapter 9, you see this verse where he says, they're going to, this is Isaiah describing some people, he says, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry, when they are hungry, they will be enraged and will speak contemptuously against their king and their God. They'll turn their faces upward. They'll look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness. There's a lot going on, but the point is things ain't super great. In fact, if you look at history at the time of God's people, all the way back when Isaiah was writing, the kingdom 
of Israel was being split. There was Israel, there was Judah, there was division, there was incredible violence. If you were here several weeks ago when we were studying Habakkuk, Habakkuk described all of the, the evil and the injustice that was going on. There was war, there was threat of all of this other stuff. He said justice is going perverted. All of the good people are surrounded by evil and they're overtaken. It's just not a great time. Basically, if you were powerful, the powerful oppress the weak. You could take anyone, you could kill anyone. If you were stronger than someone else, there is no law. Things are not great. It could be very descri- easily described as hopeless. Things today sometimes don't always seem like they've gotten much better. A couple nights ago, I was working on some stuff um, for the church, and I was up really late. I was like 3 a.m., 3.30 a.m. I was trying to finish. I redid the website for our church, and... Um, and I have my phone next to me on the desk where I'm working, and it goes bing, bing. Like, if you, have, if you ever stay up super late and you have, the, um, you have Ring or you have Next Door on your phone and you get the notifications, um, this was Friday night, too, so that didn't make it much better. Um, it was like bing, gunshots, gunshots. Did someone hear where that happened? I was like, oh, okay. It's like 1130. I'm like, that's great. You know, and then, you know, 12 a.m., more gunshots in a different part of the city. I mean, literally, I got like six or seven notifications about shootings. Someone's dog was stolen. Someone's car was broken into. There's people, I mean you know this happens in our city. People are so desperate. People are making horrible choices. But this is all night. I'm just thinking like, man, this is, this is not good. This is not the way it should be. I got a letter from Casa in the mail recently. I got to go to one of their big fundraiser things, and it was a really impactful story. This girl shared how she was uh, one of the children in the Casa system and, and just how much it meant to her. And so, you know, I, I made a donation, so they got all my information from that. And they mailed me a letter thanking me for the donation I made this year. And they had some statistics on it. And it said, hey, we, we need you to continue donating because. And they said, one of the things that just caught my eye, because it's ever since we started working, we, we volunteered this summer with an organization called um, Mariposa. Uh, it used to be the women's YWCA, I think, the Youth Women's Christian Association. But they help women who are in domestic abuse situations, and they also help men as well. Um, and on this letter from CASA, the thing that stuck out to me the most, they had a bunch of stats. It said, this year alone, domestic violence cases have gone up 46%. And that just breaks my heart again because I'm like, home is a place where you should be safe. Home is a place where you should go to recharge and recover, not be abused. And then I just, you know, you get on Facebook, on public. There's just so many things. It's, it's clear that things are still unjust. There's still violence. I'm 33 years old. I'll be 34 in a few weeks. And um, I finally got to the point where I'm seeing, like, the crises of the world just kind of repeat. Like when you're younger, you're like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. This has never happened before. And you get like someone who's like 60 or 70, like, oh, it's just the new thing. There's always something bad happening. And like, obviously a pandemic was pretty bad, but we've had those before. Um, Y2K was a big scary thing. If you're, if you're alive when the year 2000 happened, that was a big thing. My family, we got water, sort of. We were late because we didn't know. <laughs> I don't know. But there's always these crises and this tension now Israel, I guess, is fighting and Palestine. There's like always something happening. There seem like people can't just chill. <laughs> we seem to give in to these lesser versions of ourselves. And it makes sense, right? Because right there in verse 2, the people who walked in darkness. To walk in darkness is a challenging thing. Let's just make that literal. If you've ever tried walking in a dark room, totally dark, I mean, you're not doing like this usually. 
You're doing one of these like, hold on, where is he? <laughs> you're careful. You'll, you'll know, you can't be certain of your next step. You're not sure if you're going to bounce into something. You're not sure if you might step off the edge of something if you're in a precarious situation. Walking in darkness is not a comfortable place. You can't see, you can't discern between right and wrong. And then further it goes into that same verse too. It says those who lived or who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. To live in darkness, it seems to some degree that, and I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm a pretty optimistic person, but there's still some things I feel like we're just living. We've accepted this is the way it is. I've had several people tell me before, like, well, Scott, you've only been here for a year and a half. Like, that's just how Pueblo is. And I'm like, I don't think that's true. I don't think Pueblo is destined to have high crime, high divorce, high abuse, high poverty, high homelessness. That's not, that doesn't have to be our fate. But yet people have settled. They're living in darkness. We just kind of slowly drift into mediocrity or less. We just don't try as hard. I don't know if anyone here works at Taco Bell, but man, that's the longest drive-through line of my life. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's no one there in the store we saw, but they're just taking their time, I guess. I don't know. Maybe it's not that important. Maybe they think, oh, it's just, I just work at Taco Bell. It's not that big a deal. No, it is a big deal. We were hungry. <laughs> I would have been so grateful. We should always pursue excellence, always try to continue setting the bar high because we can bring glory to God in that simple thing. And here's the thing that I think makes Christmas kind of difficult, the Christmas message. What Isaiah is proving to us here is that there's darkness and we can't fix it. We need an external help. We need something to come from the outside, and that's the beauty of that verse, right? They have seen a great light. A light has dawned on them. My translation in my verse says that a light has shone on them, which means it's coming from somewhere else. The sun dawns on our planet, right? The sun is way, way far away. It brings light to our darkness. We need this light to come, this external light didn't spring up from the land. The Bible doesn't say that the light came out of someone's, you know, think tank. Someone invented the light. No, the light dawned. We need to recognize that this is kind of an indictment. This is kind of an accusation against us to say, you can't do it alone. Which is a huge wrench in the self-help book industry, which, by the way, self-help books make $6 billion a year. Which is funny because if you could help yourself, you probably wouldn't have gotten into the problem in the first place. But yet we buy the book thinking, well, I can dig myself out of the hole that I dug myself. Well, why don't you just not dig the hole in the first place? We should solve that. People keep digging holes. We can define the light pretty, pretty easily. Jesus is this light, right? It later, we later read in the verses that a child is born, a, child, a son is given. Or even if you go look at uh, John chapter 8, this is Jesus speaking himself, verse 12. Jesus says, again, Jesus spoke to them, saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Like, as long as you know how to read, you can make, you can make this connection. This isn't like a seminary degree. This isn't some fancy collegiate-level stuff. If you just read this book, you can see these truths pretty clear. Jesus is the light. Jesus is the one who came. He is the one who had to come externally because we were incapable of doing it on our own. 
This is a really hard truth if you're someone like me because I grew up thinking, I just need to try harder. I need to just work harder. I can just grind. I've, I was successful in most athletic things I did and did decently well in school without trying too much. I just felt like I could just do it on my own. I made myself my own God. In America, we talk about being a self-made man, pulling yourself up by your bootstraps and making it happen. And here in this Christmas message, the Bible's telling us you can't. You can't do it alone. Don't buy into this lie. Don't go into the rat race just spinning your wheels trying to be better or more moral or more virtuistic or more successful. You're wasting your time. We need an external help. I want to show this, um, uh, this video really quick. Uh, I'll play, we'll play it in a second, not yet. Um, it's a Christmas song that I guess came out a couple years ago. And it kind of really speaks to this philosophy of us trying to find some kind of internal balance or some kind of internal solution. Because I think people are always looking for something. And it's a catchy little song. It's like, I kind of like the sound of it. Um, but you'll notice the lyrics really, really quickly. He makes a big stab straight at um, Christianity. Um, this guy, he's the brother of Billie Eilish. His name's Phineas. If you're familiar with Billie Eilish, you'll know um, who her brother. But he has this song, and he kind of says the answer isn't Jesus. Uh, well, let's go ahead and play. It's only a minute long. You can go ahead and watch it on here. Never snows in LA. You'd never know it was a holiday. I don't believe that Jesus Christ was born to save me. That's an awful lot of pressure for a baby. But here we are with family or friends. Some extra time to spend And I'm not mad about it Don't waste a dime on me Just want your company Beside a Christmas tree If the dog allows it Hurry home, please I don't belong Without cute little song you know it has a catchy little tune i actually like his voice i like he has a cool little i never really listened to this guy before he came on the radio a little while ago and uh he kind of describes this really nice little cozy place right this this moment where you're just with your family we'll hang out by the christmas tree if the dog allows because dogs are crazy it's kind of nice i get it. i see the appeal he has horrible theology um this whole idea of a pressure being on a baby is not i would love to talk to phineas and be like bro that's Let's study the Bible a little bit. Let me, let me teach you about this baby that you think you know something about. But the appeal is there, right? We don't need Jesus. We don't need to put all that. That's too much. That, this story of this baby who came to save us, that's not the answer. As long as we're together, as long as I got you, we can just be this happy family. And that, that's enough. That's all we need. We don't need Jesus. If you are curious what a family might look like without Jesus, I can assure you it's not always cozy sitting by a tree with a little dog and saying, hurry home. It's more like, why ain't you home yet? 
Why didn't you pick up what I needed? Well, how come you didn't get this? Oh, wow, you always, like, people get so selfish and so angry and so mean, and there's no love, or not, not authentic love, the way that the Bible has given us a chance to experience. There's not, there's not trust. People don't trust each other. They accuse each other. They say mean things. I've heard cuss words from people who say they love each other. They just cuss at each other like it's nothing. I've seen them yell. I've seen them be abusive. I'm not saying Christians are perfect. But man, a family without Christ terrifies me. Why would you do that to yourself? You're setting yourself up for incredible pain, incredible hurt. What do you base anything off of? I find that most atheists, most unbelievers, are actually kind of stealing from Christianity. All of their morals, all of their goodness, they're just kind of taking it from Jesus because the truth is solid. Even if you're not a Christian, you're here this morning, you're not really sure what you believe. You're like, I'm not really sure. I'm, I want to follow Jesus. It's hard to disagree when Jesus says things like, you should love your enemies. You should care for the poor. Those all sound like really good things. They just get kind of nervous when you start saying stuff like, I'm the son of God or stuff like that. But back to the point I want to draw us to. Do not look to an internal solution to be the entire answer to all of the problems. As much as I love my family, if I didn't have Jesus, I would probably just be even more selfish than I already am. I would just care about my own needs more. I wouldn't have the transformative work of the Holy Spirit who's teaching me to desire holier, healthier things. I wouldn't have the patience. I don't think I would speak kindly. I used to be really, really sarcastic. Um, I've learned so much just from studying the Bible, learning about Jesus. This external help. Light reveals truth. Light brings joy. I mean, look at all the colors. This is fun. I like all the colors. Christmas is all about light and joy and happiness, but Jesus also brings us that joy. We sang about that joy to the world, right? So this light that is truth and joy and goodness, how does it dawn upon us, right? This one's really simple. A child brings it. Our second point this morning, our last one, Jesus is our gift of hope. Jesus is the one, when, when the, the son is born, right, it says down there in um, verse 6, for to us a child is born, for to us a son is given. Remember that word for? We can switch that to say because. All this has happened, the light has dawned because a child is born, because a son is given. And it's really cool because the verse goes on to give him all these names, right? Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. And we'll talk about those in a second. But it's funny, I've seen pastors do entire sermons just on these names. And they're really, really cool. All the implications, all the things that come from knowing Jesus as wonderful counselor, mighty God. I want to talk about mighty God and everlasting father first. If Jesus is the mighty God and the everlasting father, which by the way, he's the only one ever referred to as God, mighty God. You can't just have a normal, like, you can't just like him. You can't just like Jesus. Oh, he's a nice guy. Like, if he's this mighty God, then you, I mean, look, look throughout the Bible. Everyone who interacts with Jesus, interacts with God, has this crazy reaction to him. They either hate him, absolutely hate him, or they fall down and worship of him. The story of the, of the wise men, right, the, the, the magi who show up, I love it. When they get there, they, they bow down and they worship this baby because they recognize who this person is, what he means. He is mighty God. He is everlasting Father. He is divinity. He is the fullness of God in flesh. And that takes us to the other part, right? Wonderful counselor, 
Prince of Peace. Jesus is God with flesh, incarnated, incarnation. He puts on flesh. He experiences the human life. He knows what you're going through. He's been through some incredible highs. He's been through some incredible lows. He knows what it's like for all his friends to abandon him. He knows what it's like to feel extreme pain. He knows what it's like to pray to God and hear nothing. When he prayed to his father before he would go to the cross, he said, God, if possible, let this cup pass from me. But if not, I'll, I'll do it your way, basically. You know? Not as I will, but as, as you will. God didn't respond. God didn't say, hey, my son, you know what it's going to be like. No, he just... Jesus has felt everything you felt. It makes him so distinctive from any God of any other religion. He became a baby. One of the most vulnerable ways you can exist. Babies have to be cared for. They have zero experience in this world. And our God chose to be born as a baby. He knows what it's like to be in the lowest of places he wasn't born to a, a royal rich family either. I mean, this is God. He could have picked anybody. He picked a young girl. We can have this light. We can have access to this light because the child is born, right? The son is given. Now, when we read that, the son is given, I hope it makes you think of a gift, right? This is a gift. This isn't something we can just get on our own. Remember, this was never an eternal solution. We can't just go on Amazon and buy hope and salvation. We can't just go find a, a YouTube video and be like, all right, let me take some notes, you know, on how to, how to 10 steps to a, a holy life. Like, this is something that was given to us. It's a gift. This salvation, this hope, all of it was given as a gift. And this comes back to that thing I referenced earlier. It's kind of a tough gift. Like, gifts are fun, especially in, you know, in Christmas, we, we all give each other gifts. But some gifts are really hard to accept. You know, like, anyone ever give their wife a scale? You, you don't do that. <laughs> or, you know, if someone gave me a book that said, hey, pastor, I wanted to give you this for Christmas, and I open it, it says, you know, preaching for dummies. Okay, you know, for me to accept that kind of says, you know, it's like, here's how to be a better pastor. I'd be like, dang, you know, <laughs> like, okay. If, in order for me to accept that, I'm going to have to swallow my pride a little bit. You know, which, by the way, I love books. If you didn't want to give me a book, you can. But anyway, um, some gifts are kind of tough. If someone gave you a book that said, here's, you know, a diet book, and, and here's a book on how to be, like, not annoying, for you to accept that basically says you're admitting to, I guess I'm fat and obnoxious, you know. Like, like so we don't want to accept some gifts. We don't want that to be, we don't want, we don't want to say, I need that. Jesus is probably one of the most difficult gifts to accept because of what you have to admit when you accept this gift. I like this quote from a pastor named Timothy Keller. He says, Christmas means that we are so lost, so unable to save ourselves, that nothing less than the death of the Son of God himself could save us. To accept this gift of Jesus means you admit that things have gotten so bad that you've fallen so far short of the standard, the only thing that can save you is the death of the Son of God himself. That's how, that's how drastic it's got. It's not, this ain't a duct tape kind of thing. This is 
This is a crucifixion, resurrection kind of thing. We need something big to come. The son is given. But you know what's really, really cool? In order for us to fully understand all these promises about Christmas, we have to first take that that swallowing our pride kind of step. We have to first admit that we cannot save ourselves, that in our own strength, we are limited. We need the unmerited grace of God. Christmas is, of course, a time of joy because we celebrate all the good things about Jesus, all the good things about um, God and everything that came with this prophecy. But it also forces, forces us to accept this harsh truth that things really are this bad. Like, this is how bad it got on earth that God's like, man, I better send Jesus. <laughs> like, I, I gotta do, I, I can't hold anything back. This is how bad it is there. This is how much people have chosen their sin over God. That we've got to really crank it up to 11 to bring them back. That's the hard truth about Christmas. But at the same time, for Christians, we say, okay, we get it's gotten that bad. But in the same breath, we say, but there is always hope. And the very God that we feel like we have failed, the very God whose standards we've fallen short of, is the same God who is the solution. The problem is big, but the answer is bigger. Jesus is enough. Jesus is everything that you need. He is the Son who is given. He is the one who's going to bring this light that is dawned upon us. No longer will you have to stay in darkness. Don't live in a land of deep darkness. Follow this light. Jesus said, I am the light. It's there. It's waiting for you. He is the gift. In Ephesians it says, for it is by grace you have been saved. And this is no, nothing that you can earn on your own, but it's the gift of God so no man may boast. He gives us this gift out of his great love for us. This is the greatest joy that I can think of in Christmas is that I was so in need of rescue and I got rescued. It's such a cool thing. Every single one of us on this planet has felt the sting of sin, whether it's our own or we're the victim of someone else's choices and we had to experience that sin as well. But there is always hope for the Christian. As bad as it gets, we know how this story goes. Jesus comes back to make everything new. In the meantime, it can be really hard. It can be really confusing. It can be really unsettling. That's why we prayed earlier, right? Pray for reliance on God. Pray to trust him because sometimes this meanwhile stuff, it's tough. We want to fix it ourselves. But we look to the story of Jesus this light that has dawned upon us, that has been sent, that all would know that salvation is made possible in Jesus. So remember, no matter how bad or how dark it gets, there's always hope in Jesus. He is the light. Light pushes out all darkness. We need external help, and God sent Jesus to be our hope to fix it. Uh, I'm going to pray for us real quick.